Welcome to The Retreat, a safe space for open wellbeing conversations. Today's podcast focuses on anxiety. Do you guys want to introduce yourself to us and um, who you work for, what team you work for and briefly what you do? Yeah, I'll go first, shall I? Hi, I'm Zoe Monkton. I work for the Workforce Development Team and I am one of their project administrators. So I basically plan a lot of events for the Clinical Research Network um, and get involved with a lot of the learning side of thing, things on our NIHR Learn website. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoy it. Next. Helen, do you want to go? That's, if you want to, yeah, that's fine. My name is Helen Walcott. I'm a project support officer, which comes under business delivery services. Um, so project being a project support officer basically means that um, I get involved with the um, strategic projects that come down from um, SLT um, to kind of uh, kind of help with the betterment of the network for, for patient and staff benefit. Hi, I'm Jane Mitchell. I'm a primary care research facilitator. Uh, primary care works with GP practices predominantly, and it's about getting research active GP practices working on NIHR studies. And I'm also a wellbeing champion. I'm um, Zoe Phipps, and I work the wellbeing team. So I tend to do a whole lot of things. So I make videos. I create the bulletins, I do a lot of the wellbeing stuff that goes out. Um, and most of us on the call are mental health first aiders. Um, so do you, do you want to talk about what a mental health first aider does and what it doesn't do and why you felt that you wanted to become a mental health first aider? Should I just should I go first? So um, I, I'm Jane. I'm I am a mental health first aider. It's it's an adult mental health first aider, and I got trained as part of my job role in the NIHR CRN West Mids. Um, it's I've probably been trained for a couple of years now, um, and I think we probably all appreciated how relevant and how necessary it was once the pandemic hit and we were all working from home because there was a massive shift in how we worked um, and how we whether we realized it or not had a responsibility for our own mental health both in work and out out of work um, I've got so I made some notes for what what I think the role is um, so you're basically being trained to look for risk factors um, in your work colleagues. That's that's the theory in your, in the workplace. Um, yeah. And you need a range of skills or you learn a range of skills rather. So it's things like active listening, having empathy, having a non-judgmental attitude, compassion, but also confidence in your ability to have a conversation with somebody that you might have highlighted requires some support and in the network in our network um, we tend to be in sort of if you like we configured within the the well-being team yeah. um, at the moment and we're trying our best I think to make inroads into other teams throughout the network to just sort of get the message out that we're we're in the network we're trained and we're available if people would like to talk to us yeah, I was gonna say I feel I feel like it's in, it's important that we do have 
the the mental health first aid is for people to be able to go to because i know in some organizations they they don't have them and then they realize that like that there is a problem but they don't have the facilities to be able to um to help them because they don't they haven't done mental health first training they don't have any well-being offerings or stuff like that so i i do feel like it's quite important so um i'm also a children's mental health first aider so i'm um i'm both adults and a child um mental health first aider and for me it's it allows me it gives me the opportunity to be able to help someone if they need that help so like um i did the children's ones for um for my guides that i do so i know that if any of them have a problem that they need that they come to me and they need help on i can sit there and i can help them and i feel grateful and honored to be able to do that for them and instead of them struggling with that problem yeah, going forward yeah. <laughs> i think it's important to note that um mental health first aid is a really important role but it's it's not um it's not counseling it's not um you know it's, yeah. it's a, a kind of a, a an initial thing so it is literally like first aid in the same way as you get a you know a, a plaster um it's it's that kind of initial thing um and a way to sort of signpost onto people who need more help um so it's kind of we're not professionals in in any way we are just you know the same as everybody else we just have a little bit of training that allows us to to sort of maybe recognize some telltale signs and to know where to signpost people to who need more help yeah and it's about reducing um stigma and getting the message out there so banging on about it as much as humanly possible until people start rolling their eyes at you yeah and i, I like I feel like having honest and open conversations about things that people might not want to openly admit that they suffer from, it's mm -hmm. important because if people hear someone having a conversation about something, they're like, okay, if they're having a conversation about it, it will help me to have a conversation about it because yeah. as as you guys know, I'm not the most talkative person. I don't like telling people my problems because I feel like everyone else has a problem that's bigger or more important than mine so i'm just like i'm not i'm not gonna say anything but when you hear people having honest and open conversations it promotes you to want to actually talk to someone about it Definitely. exactly that and it, it's not a competition so just because you're you feel your what you're feeling is 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 smaller or you're going through something that you think is less than somebody else it's not smaller or lesser for you so it's it's not a competition so whatever you're feeling is absolutely as valid as what somebody else is feeling no matter what you're going through even if you think yours is trivial because they've got some massive thing going on even trivial things can be massive to to, to the individual and it's just as important to address them as it is to address the major traumas yeah and i think it's important to highlight that to everyone who's listening like no matter how small you think your problem is there's there's always that space for someone to have an open and honest conversation about it and absolutely if something like, feels like a, a massive a massive deal sometimes even just the act of sharing it i mean there's the old you know a problem shared is a problem halved and it, it, it sounds flippant yeah. and trivial but it, it, it isn't sometimes just by telling somebody and them going yeah i, I feel the same or i felt the same 
just gives you that kind of oh you know you're not on your own and maybe maybe is a molehill not a mountain it yeah. validates your own feelings doesn't it mm -hmm. when someone can relate to what you're saying or they felt like in the past or they can give an example of something that they went through and it makes you feel that you're not alone that you're not strange you're not weird because you're not it's normal we're all human beings we all have emotions and we all have stresses and strains that sometimes we need a little help with none of us are super men super women and i think the more that people talk about uh, anxiety the better the world will be because there's still a lot of stigma out there and there shouldn't be and i think this podcast is a great way of just making things the norm around anxiety so well done yeah because like when we were back in the office i i always remember going into helen and being like i feel this way or i've done this and i don't think i've done this right or whatever and then helen would go like look we all we all feel the same and the way you're feeling is okay and is validated and i'm just like i walk out there and i'm like okay i feel the way i feel but that's okay because everyone has felt the way that i feel if yeah. that makes sense yeah, and so, it's really yeah. it's really important to um, acknowledge how you're feeling and um, you know whether you're feeling good or whether you're feeling bad, because bottling up emotions and and trying not to feel them just makes them escalate and makes them ten times worse. So if you're having a bad day, and you can actually be brave enough to articulate, I'm having a bad day, then you acknowledge those feelings and they go away most of the time they don't escalate into into the big things i mean you know talking about anxiety specifically anxiety is a normal and natural everyday process that we, we all need we wouldn't you know we need it for motivation we need it you know to get out of bed when you, you know when the alarm goes off we all feel a bit of anxiety but it's the anxiety that makes us get out of bed and get dressed so it's 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 a useful emotion but it's when it becomes dysfunctional when it becomes all the time and it starts to affect the day-to-day -day life that's when it becomes a problem by not acknowledging that you've got anxiety that leads or can lead to it becoming problematic definitely Helen. yeah i definitely have to agree with that um so as you've kind of touched on um everyone on the call has obviously had their own personal experiences of anxiety so um zoe do you want to go into yours yeah yeah so i was diagnosed with PTSD and generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder back in 1999 so quite a long time ago now this uh, came about from a series of three events that happened very close together in my life the last one being a very very traumatic event um, that caused me to have a breakdown and when I say breakdown, inverted commas, breakdown isn't actually a medical term. Uh, there is no such thing as a breakdown. Um, it's basically your body's way of saying you need to address something. Um, your brain will give out signs that either you notice or you don't notice along the way. Um, obviously, I know now, no, 25 years later, what my signs are. Back 25 years ago, I didn't. I, I was very, very scared and I became non-functional and not able to carry out basic duties of my life. Um, I stopped working and became housebound. 
Um, so that was a really difficult time. I didn't like to be left on my own. I stopped eating. I couldn't sleep. Um, a whole host of things. And I really thought I was losing my mind and I was, I was the only person in the world. I didn't want to be here anymore. I just wanted the pain and it was a physical pain that I felt. I just wanted it to end. Um, the long story, you know, short, long story short is that I got the help that I needed eventually. And I was taught through therapy um, that my body's way, the way it was reacting was normal to the trauma that I had gone through. And that actually... I was a really yeah. strong person and this was my body's way of telling me to slow down and to address things appropriately. Um, I did take medication and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sing sing the praise of medication if it works for you great. I needed it at the time because that was the only thing that really helped me at the time. Um, along with therapy, which I also am a strong advocate for CBT. Um, you are taught various techniques and ways to handle your thoughts and your anxiety, and that puts you in good stead. Now, obviously, I'm very well now, um, but I do have dips in my life when periods, as we all go through, we go through high and low periods of stress through things that happen in life and things that you can't control uh, but I now know sort of how to talk about things um, and to be mindful of the feelings that I'm feeling and I think noticing the triggers that that can be a trigger for me and I'm not scared anymore and I have peace now something that I didn't have Back in 1999, I was in constant turmoil. Um, and I just think if someone had said to me, if we had been where we are now 25 years ago, I think it would have been a very, very different position. I'd have been in a very different position. It was very taboo 25 years ago. It wasn't talked about. They weren't apps and podcasts. And I remember the GP saying to me, well, I'm not going to refer you to therapy until you start your antidepressants. No one will even see you until you start your antidepressants. They don't say that now. People tend to go through the, the therapy route therapy route before you go on to medication and things are so much better now and there's so much help and support out there for people either on a mild level a severe level whatever level your anxiety is at there is something there for you and you can and will feel better and don't ever if anyone's listening don't ever feel that there is no way out from it because there always, always is. And there are people out there that will help and support you. So thanks for listening to me ramble on there. <laughs> I can um, I can definitely second the um, the therapy comment because I, um, I recently finished my um, CBT therapy and it... it it allowed me to realise that the way the way that I've felt like in the past couple of years, 
I finally realised that that is actually the way I felt my whole life. But with you like, know it? and I yeah, and I didn't know it. And like my like my therapist, like he he, he was amazing. He was like, because you were a child, you the like the things that I went through as a child I obviously viewed them as a child and I reacted appropriately for a child of that age whereas now that I'm an adult I obviously I have the supposedly I have the brain of an adult now um, (laughs) (laughs) um so I react differently to things now but when I look back at like my childhood and um I'm probably not explaining this very well but um, as I look back from uh, as as an adult now to being a child, I look at the way I react and I'm like, well, why did I react like that? And then like it's all about the, the thinking behind things of you were a child, so you obviously you reacted in this way, which obviously wasn't the right way, but you were a child, and that's how you thought at the time. Yeah, so, it's age appropriate. Yeah. So like, and because of like the things I went through as a child they like they affect the way that I think as an adult so like like for example if like one of my if I pick up one of my friends in my car and she just sits there and doesn't talk to me my automatic thought is oh my god she hates me bear in mind there is probably a hundred and million other things that I could think of at that time my first thought is she doesn't like me anymore because she's not talking to me she's just got in and she's ignored me mm. and that's that's not how that's not how a normal person should think mm-hmm. if you get what I mean that's just a normal person will go okay she she's in a bad mood or she's just tired or whatever but it's it's mad how your brain it automatically goes to a negative rather than a reason uh being reasonable it automatically thinks the worst doesn't it yeah, it's like if if like Helen wants to drop a message saying, "Can we have a meeting?" I'd be like, "Oh my god, what, what have I done, or what haven't I done?" Like, yeah, have have I forgot something that I yeah. should have done? And I'm like, "Oh god!" But then it could just be like a, I just wanted to chat, yeah. and then like my heart is automatically like relieved. I'm like, "Thank God for yeah. that," because otherwise, like especially like if they're put in advance, I I sit and worry from like for like the time before the meeting and I'm like oh god oh god what have I done and I try and think it's like I create situations in my head it's like I could go okay Helen might say this so then I've got my reply in my head already and it's it's very hot it's very time consuming thinking like it's that. exhausting as well it's exhausting yeah. Yeah, so it's I was like, like this before we joined this this podcast I was like oh I'm a bit nervous oh I'm nervous what I'm gonna say oh god I'm nervous <laughs> yeah. trust me at the end um you'll feel you'll feel a sense of relief at the end <laughs> yeah when we press the end call yeah I can go to Tesco or out like I don't like going shopping by myself I don't like being put in social situations by myself I'd much rather go with someone if I if I can if that's possible but like I like I was stand there and I know you shouldn't but I I'm a people watcher so I make judgments on other people but because I do that I automatically think when I walk into Tesco and someone looks at me they're making a judgment on me and then 
it makes you really self-conscious then they're like okay so if they're thinking that then I must be that but I, it's it's not it's not normal to do that I know what you mean and the, and the truth of it is no one's even looking in your direction no no one's even taking any any notice of you at all but it's literally as soon as you walk in that door it's like all eyes are on me isn't it yeah or if i like i will constantly reassess what i've said so like mm. i like i could send an email and i'd be like i could have worded that better or i hope they don't think i hate them or that i'm being rude or that like like do you get what i mean like i'm I constantly rethinking of what i've said so like if you go over like, conversations in your mind i should have said this and then did that did i sound like that yeah I, I, I don't i don't ever want to come across as being like a rude person or a person that people don't like like definitely don't come across that way zoe i mean you know you were one of the first people that welcomed me to the network and you you were lovely and you really helped me when i first started and that was my first memory of you and i still think the same now thanks that's, that's pretty short um <laughs> but it's 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 mad how it um how anxiety comes in different forms because i know jane yours is to do with um to do with to do no in regards <laughs> to menopause <Yeah. laughs> thanks so <laughs> no i was just listening to you then and i was just thinking a lot of what you've just said uh, we all have it but we we probably have it to a lesser or a greater degree don't we i think we are all i don't think it's, i think it's perfectly normal for us to want to be you know nice well-rounded people that other people like so i don't think there's anything abnormal in that but clearly it's it's the point at where you get to that tipping point where that consumes you and for me i i never um my anxiety got a lot worse in menopause i didn't even before that really realize i was an anxious person it's it's kind of sort of is a bit of a, a, a realization that I think my whole life I've been anxious, but I've learned to cope with it and sort of mask it to the point where other people think if you were to say, Oh, you know, she's Jane's quite anxious, people would be like, No, she's not, she's really laid back, she's really chilled. Because I've kind of perfected, if you like, a bit of a persona that that gives that impression. Um, whereas a lot of the time I'm quite anxious about things, but um, I don't want other people to know that. Um, so all the things you've s sort of talked about, you know, f you know, like it, it hits me in the stomach. If I've got something important to do, what I think is important or it's new or it's a challenge, you know, I'll quite often get an upset stomach. That's how it affects me. And I think it just sort of just sort of escalated in in menopause. So it's kind of come come out the other way and there's things like there's something called imposter syndrome which i didn't even know existed but it's to do with sort of lack of confidence really and it's quite common unfortunately for menopausal women where you all of a sudden go from being you know what is essentially quite a, a functioning you know capable human being to like doubting every decision you make and every action you take and that other people must have cottoned onto this by now and like why would anybody ask your opinion on something or why would anybody think you knew something or you know would be somebody worth talking to because actually you don't know what you're talking about 
and it happens you know it happens if you do a presentation or you know when you're in a pressurized like a high pressure situation where you know you know you're having to portray yourself in some respects as if you're a little bit of an expert on something and then all of a sudden you know inside your head you've just got this voice going you just you're just talking nonsense like no one's going to listen to you and that happens from time to time um so it's it's sort of like taking taking a level of anxiety which is not as debilitating as perhaps some of the examples you've given you've given already but it's just kind of there in the background and it's annoying and it kind of niggles away at you and it comes up at times when you don't want it to come up and you know it's about sort of learning how to how to cope with it so that you like you've said I think we've talked a little bit but perhaps not in great detail about having some level of coping strategy for things like this so so he talks about triggers you got you get to recognize the triggers don't you and you learn how to put plans in place if you can because you can't plan for everything but you can do things to help yourself um kind of deal with it so you know it's coming it'll come up in some form but you already know how you're going to handle it and that's kind of the difference i suppose in sort of accepting this is part of who you are sometimes it's worse than other times but actually you're going to be okay because you know how you can cope with that yeah i i get yes yeah, like with like with me like i said i don't i don't like social settings i don't like situations so i will try like i will go shopping when it's the quietest on google maps i don't i don't go to concerts because it's loud music and all of that and if i do then i take people that i trust that i know that if i do like if i do have a panic attack or i don't feel like i want to be there anymore they will support me and be like okay we know that you don't feel great now so we'll we'll leave because you don't you don't want to have a a person around you that doesn't believe like not not believe but doesn't support you and they just want that they want to stay and they they don't want to help you so yeah i think it's also about having the right people around you as well definitely definitely i really relate to that i really really do because the last thing you need is someone saying what's the matter with you why are you anxious what are you scared of snap out yeah. of pull your socks up and you just look that just you know it's like petrol to a fire it's really but someone just acknowledging it and saying hey whatever you need don't worry it's almost like pouring water over the fire it diffuses it like you wouldn't believe and and i think like zoe just said recognizing it i'm at a stage in my life where i'm obviously not a young lady and i know how to surround myself with the right type of people so there are some people that i won't go near if you like because not not being judgmental i know how they react to situations or i've picked up things in conversations with them through work or through meeting them in the street or a shop or asda and they've dropped something out to me and i know that they don't get it or they've made a comment about someone else and i think i remember it 
And I think uh, that person is not going to get whatever you're going to say to them. They're just black and white switched off to it. And I think we all know if you've gone through some sort of anxiety yourself that it's not black and white. There are multiple shades of grey in between and it's not as easy as pulling your socks up, snap out of it. What have you got to feel scared about? It's, you know, if it was as easy as that, anxiety wouldn't exist. But as Helen said earlier, we need anxiety for function. And that was always made really clear to me by my therapists is that if you didn't have anxiety or adrenaline or the things that throw through your flow through your veins, you like Helen said, you wouldn't get be able to get out of bed. Mm. Um, you, you need it when you cross the road, when you see a, a fight, flight or dangerous situation. That is when you it genuinely comes into force. And that is what it's for. You know, if I if I was to see a dangerous situation, I wouldn't just keep on going and head towards it. I'd turn around and go the other way and do everything I could to avoid it. Yeah. And that's a normal reaction to a, a dangerous situation. But when anxiety gets out of control, the anxiety levels are heightened all the time and you've got no control over it whatsoever. Yeah. They are just bang there. Like mine, mine was that I was literally going to drop down dead any second. I was mm. going to die and I was going to die. I was going to die. Mm. I couldn't tell you how I was going to die, but I'm telling you it was going to happen. And that was the way I felt. And it was very, very real. And people saying to me, well, that's just silly. Why are you feeling like that? Really not helpful. And no. and you, going back to my original comment, is you do know the people that are going to support you when you go out. And my friends are all people that have understood it and i've had friends that didn't understand it that have then suffered themselves and have later come to me i get it, i get it now i understand mm -hmm. it and i'm really sorry i wasn't there for you but it's i wouldn't wish anxiety upon anyone because it's not very nice but for someone to come to you and go i get it i understand it you're safe with me you just feel a whole lot better. And I think you really need to turn your anxiety into a, pos a positivity if you can. And that you can help people by talking about it. You can make them feel better. And I also think it makes you a wiser person. Yeah, it makes you a very, not judgmental, but... I can judge a person from as soon as I, I meet them, what, what type of person they are. And I think it's um, it's it's really good to surround yourself by positive people and positive energy. And But everything you just said, Zoe, I'm just like they're nodding, like a nodding dog. Oh, God, yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. I'm the same. It's literally, I don't like to go to Merry Hill shopping centres unless it's a Monday or a Wednesday when no one else is there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tend to go on a lunch, like in my lunch break because I know everyone else should be at work and you get down there and you're like, why is there so many people? Everyone should be at work. They're all on lunch. <laughs> <laughs> They've all got the same idea. Um, <laughs> Helen? 
Oh. Yeah, I've not really got much else to say, really. You've sort of all said it all. Um, very similar experiences to to, to all of you. Um, everything you've said resonates with, with me too. Um, Zoe saying that she was wandering around feeling like she thought she was going to die. My, a lot of my anxiety springs from the fact that I did die. Um, so prior to that, I was um, pretty laid back. Um, and then after that, it, I had no, I had no, I, I'd relied on my own body and then my own body betrayed me. And so every, like literally the rug was swept out from underneath me. So from that point, it, it, just, it was just a, a free for all for the intrusive voices. Um, and it's taken me a really, you know, it's taken me a decade um, to get anywhere near feeling like I'm I'm getting towards addressing those and, and, and knowing what's going on. Um, you know, it's a really, really long process. And I know the Zoe's have said, you know, a big advocate of CBT and, you know, I've had CBT myself and I think it is great, but I think it's only a, a or it can only be a surface, you know, so there's kind of under, underlying things. So once I started therapy, I did some CBT, but it didn't give me enough answers. It didn't give me enough whys. Um, so um, I kind of did some further therapy. Um, and I think it's just really good to know that CBT is a tool in the toolkit, but not every not every tool will suit every person. So CBT is, is a really, really useful tool. And it's one that's very, very trendy and popular at the moment. But there are some people that it doesn't work for and they need other therapies. So it is worth noting that there are there are other therapies available for you. And if CBT doesn't help with what you're feeling, then that doesn't mean that you're like broken it just means that that tool's not the applicable one for that situation for you and you know I think that's for me what kind of circling back to the point of being a mental health first aider is is kind of if one if somebody says oh I've tried CBT and I still feel exactly the same way it's kind of going well how about we look at some of the other tools in the toolkit um so so yeah so that's that's kind of it for me really yeah well said Helen well said there is there is a lot more other than just CBT whether it be you see a psychologist or you go to group therapy talking therapy um psychiatry therapy you know that there is so much more out there and you know CBT is really really hard to grasp and it, it's just about, for me, it was about understanding my own brain and understand why my brain was behaving that way. Uh, yeah. yeah, see, for me, CBT didn't give me the understanding of why my brain was behaving that way. So for me, there was there was underlying stuff going, going on um, that CBT addressed the behaviours, but it didn't under, address the causes. So no, we needed yeah, something yeah, additional. Yeah. To, to, to dig deeper and now that I'm kind of dealing with um what else is going on um I'm starting to be able to to address it and some you know using some of those tools they are CBT tools but it's kind of you know just because CBT doesn't work for you doesn't mean to say that you haven't grasped it or you know it's just maybe not the right tool for you at the moment definitely Definitely. I was going to say what what I would say is that it when I got offered it, it was offered as a it will help rewire your brain to think differently. But like reflecting back, my my brain still thinks the same as when I walk in the door. 
but it helped it helped me to understand why I think the way I do and it gave me tools to be able to challenge the way I'm thinking if that makes sense but mm. I, I, t I do totally get where you're coming from it's I do as well it's dependent on the person so like I went to counseling when I was in school I absolutely hated every minute of it because I'm not a talky person but I was still forced to yeah. have it and it's the same with people people say oh just go for counseling and it's not all oh, just go for counseling because you need to find the right counselor that's got the right attitude and the right tools for what you need so you know if, if you don't get on with that one counselor ask for a different one try other ones try other things and i think that's that for me that that's what i want to sort of shout about is that like people will come up with solutions and it's about having knowing that there's more than one solution so don't just try that i mean for, for anxiety a lot of thing that's brought up is meditation mindfulness and that's brilliant but it, i still i still can't meditate like i've tried i've tried setting it as a habit i've tried doing it at like set times i've tried with people without people i've tried all of the apps and it just doesn't float my boat yeah no i i just cry and the last time i did it it was it was in a group of people and i'm like i'm never doing this again never <laughs> whereas i so i found out you know for me journaling and i never thought i'd be the sort of person that journals but journaling really helps and i've also found like um like the tra trauma release positions where you just like lie with your legs in certain ways and your body starts to shake and it releases all of that trauma which sounds weird i don't know how it works something to do with nerves i don't know <laughs> But it makes me feel better. And that's that's all that matters. You just want yeah. that that yeah. release that makes you feel okay. Life's good right now. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you what makes me feel better as well, especially if I've got to the stage where for some reason my legs are shaking and I can't sit still and I'm like this. Getting under a really heavy blanket and just sitting on the sofa and getting warm. And just having that comfort around me is enough to stop the shakes and it relaxes my body enough for me to just get control again. And it's something as simple as that or a distraction technique, um, maybe trying to get watch something on TV. I mean, I've done some crazy things in my time to distract myself. But when I am going into panic mode or panic attack mode, I was always taught to distract my brain uh, by counting something. So I count lampposts, whether I'm walking, whether I'm driving, doesn't matter where I am, I will count lampposts just to try and stop my brain from spiralling. And, you know, there's things like that that we can all do. I don't know. I would say count sheep, but I need to physically see something to count. I can't count things in my head. Yeah, yeah so that's a crochet because mm -hmm. you count the stitches. Yeah, yeah. I go. count the lines of a letter, which sounds when I try and explain it to people, they're like, What? So, like, the letter C, for example, it has four lines. So, I will sit there and, like, like I'm looking at the um, the outline for this podcast, and I will count the letters of the word podcast countless times just because that helped that helps me and like if i'm somewhere that has like the ceiling tiles i will sit there and count how many ceiling tiles there are in the room and then mm -hmm. like um like 
when my mum got baptised, I didn't actually watch her being baptised because I don't know why I was too anxious. So I was counting the floor panels and the ceiling panels. And then my brother was like, did you see mum fall over? And I'm like, um, no, because I'm counting the ceiling tiles. And then because he'd interrupted me, I then had to go back and count them again. <laughs> it's it's mad how it all works, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is, but it's nice to chat about it and relate. It's relatable for all of us. We've all, at some point of this session, said, well, I can relate to that or I do do something similar. And, you know, it just gives me a warm feeling. It just gives me a sigh of relief. And, you know, I'm not on my own. There are other people out there that are just the same in different ways. And it is normal. I am normal. And that's a nice feeling to have. We all want to be part of something and be liked by everyone and be normal. And, and I think sessions like this really help people to just come together and just you know we're not bearing ourselves to each other but we are just saying i'm here and i understand and that's just such a big part of the battle for someone else to just understand you yeah and so. even if we help one person then that that's my job done like absolutely i'm, I'm great um how would you how would you guys say your anxiety affects work like does it affect work like i know mine does sometimes like it's funny considering the job that i'm in and like especially like with being at brp a lot i don't like talking to people so i have to greet people i some well not so much now but i have to pick up the telephone and it's it's funny how I hate that. It's like, if one of you was to call me on my personal phone, I would not pick it up. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm the same with the phone. I'm exactly is that why when I rang you yesterday, Zoe, you didn't pick it up? And I was only ringing to ask if you wanted a coffee from the calf. <laughs> but I had to text her in the end. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly the same. So if, 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 I, if I can avoid using the phone, I will. Um, I'd rather send an email because it's for, for twofold. Um, because if I've got an email, I've got an, an email trail that I can go back and I can actually read and I can overanalyze what's said in writing rather than having yes. to re remember what's been said and then overanalyze it that way. Um, and also, like, I can plan it out. I can plan yes. what I'm going to say. Yes. And then for, for me, I sent it to another person to check before I then send it back to that person. Mm, I will literally sit and watch my phone ring. <laughs> Luckily now with iPhones, because before you used to just have to be stuck watching the screen ring. But now if you press like your lock button, it like mutes it so you can go about scrolling on Facebook or Instagram. So it's it's great. Because I don't want to decline the call because I worry that people will think that I don't like them because I've declined the call because I know yes. how to phone got too quickly. Yes. No. And for me, because I don't like phone calls, if I do answer, I feel like I'm being really short with people. But I don't, I don't mean to be like, and it's the fact that I don't know what you're going, going to say. So then I don't know how to respond to it. Like, you could just ask me how I'm doing today. And I'd be like, um, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> just because I don't, I, like, I don't know what somebody's going to say. Like, they could ask me something and deep down, I want to say no. 
but I don't feel like I can say no because I'm on the phone. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do that for you. <laughs> I think that's something for me like with, with boundaries. Like I've had to really, really learn to set boundaries because my, my instinct is I just want everyone to like me. So I yeah. will just say yes, even though I haven't got time or capacity or even know what they're necessarily talking about, I'll say yes to helping them. Um, so now, kind of, uh, so in terms of, you know, particularly in terms of well, work and personal context, setting boundaries and sort of saying no, but in a nice way, um, has been something that's been difficult to learn. Yeah. So I, I still, I hate saying no to people, whereas um, my line manager is very good in saying no, but saying no in a nice way to people. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I'd very much be like, I can do this, but I might not do a great job because I've got so many other things I need to do, but I want to try and please everyone. So I'll fit you in somewhere and I'll mm -hmm. try and do it for you. But it's a learning process. You'll, you'll get there. Yeah. It's it's hard, but it's life, isn't it? Mm, um, it is hard, and I think um, anxiety doesn't affect me too too badly at work. I mean, since joining the CRN, I've had to get used to work, working from home and and having faced these virtual meetings. I I find those can be quite nerve wracking, but the more you do them the more you get used to them so going to big events and meeting brain surgeons and doctors and really really important people who are so much more cleverer than me is always a big sticking point with me and I tend to fluff through it and go into like Hel um, Helen said and Jane um I've got this 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 bubbly upfront personality, you know, personality that I just shine through, and and it is it's a reflex to my anxiety bubbling under there because I just don't know what to say, and I talk and I talk and I try to be happy and bubbly and make everyone smile, and that's what I do when I'm feeling a bit anxious. And my daughter even said to me the other day when we were crossing the road and I saw someone that I knew and I went oh hi and she went mommy why does your voice go up like that when you speak to people that's not a normal voice and I, I just want to sound happy and nice and friendly <laughs> <laughs> so you know she must look at me and think what what, what where has my mom gone <laughs> what are you doing but it is a reaction to how I'm feeling inside sometimes. But yeah, a lot of people, I think my next door neighbour, I think we were having a heart to heart over something and I told her that I suffered. She said, oh, I would never have said that you suffered from anxiety. You don't seem the type. And and I was like, well, what, is there a type to yeah. be suffering? You know, there isn't a type. And you're, you're, so, you're so confident and chatty and talkative and, and yeah that, that 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 is a really big sign as that i am <laughs> suffering with anxiety but it's when people say oh you don't seem the type i'm like no. let's just put this out there there is no type <laughs> anyone can get anxiety so it, it's it's something to embrace rather than withdraw from and i think 
the more you embrace it and as jane said accept accept where you are and what it is the less scary it becomes yeah and i, I think that was a, a big big helping you know what works for one doesn't work for another but i think <clears throat> i was always told that accept a bad day and then not always know that tomorrow is going to be totally different tomorrow might be another bad day but it also might be a really good day just accept where you are tread water and start swimming towards the side of the pool that was what my therapist always said he always used to say zoe you're in the pool you're flapping you're panicking you're sinking you're not doing anything productive just tread water take a deep breath and when you feel ready move forward and swim to the side and that is a very true picture of what i'm like when i'm in the throes of a major flap i'm just like <laughs> oh my god and then i have to sort of like almost slap myself around the face and go calm down think carefully start flapping swim to the side of the pool i kept there eventually <laughs> um we've, we've kind of touched on this um already a little bit um but what would you say your top tips are for people that are struggling with anxiety so what do you do yourself like yourself when you feel like you are anxious for me again relatable to helen i write a diary or a journal and I write down everything that's bothering me and I put it on paper and I read it back to genuinely see how bad it actually is. I also score my anxiety, depression on marks out of 10. If I think I'm going through a bad patch when I'm filling in my journal, I might put, okay, on Tuesday, my anxiety was 8 out of 10. My, my, my mood, that might have been like 3 out of 10. Uh, and then I, I judge it as I go through that week to make sure that I'm not going downwards or spiralling to make sure I'm on a nice plateau. And sometimes that is enough to just sort me out for a yeah. week of journaling is, is just sort And I think, no, I'm OK. I'm OK. Or I might read through, do some mindfulness apps or read through my notes that I've made and just just be mindful and think about things and I think self-care is a massive thing for me because we all get so busy with life and work and family and making sure everyone else is okay that we always forget to actually take care of my, yourself and since I have been doing a bit more self-care it really has made a world of difference <clears throat> so it might be walking the dog on my own or going out for a walk every day or washing my hair and blow drying it and taking my time or having my nails done or colouring my hair, whatever. Something that makes you feel good about yourself. So self-care, writing a journal, having that someone that you can trust to talk to, to understand you. Those are my top tips. They make perfect sense helen do you have anything you wish to add no i have nothing to add to that jane um i think all i would say well i've got a couple of things i thought i might chip in um i think my anxiety is worse 
in the workplace. I'm not entirely sure why that is, but I think it comes down to a level of confidence. Um, and I think when you've changed job, so I've changed job, I know a few of us have changed jobs since the pandemic and we've done different things. You, you kind of go through a bit of a crisis of confidence sometimes and that's when anxiety can come more into play and kind of it's a bit of self-sabotage I think sometimes when you talk yourself out of things or you don't think you're going to be capable because you know for whatever reason but actually if you try you'll find that you're fine so for me I just kind of try and give myself space it, it, you know with work I try to not make snap judgments about things I try to allow a level of planning if I possibly can um I try not to take on too many tasks because I know that then I'll just kind of my brain will just completely clog up with stuff. So it is a level of self-care, but it's just about being sensible about what you can actually cope with. There's a lot of I, I totally understood what everyone was saying about there seems to be a level of us all wanting to be people pleasers. And that that kind of really resonates with me where you feel an obligation to say yes to every single thing that somebody asks you without really thinking about what you can cope with at that particular period of time or if you've got lots of other things and lots of other priorities. So I think it's about being realistic with yourself, um, being brave enough to say really sorry I can't help you right now or have you considered this um you know to to kind of buy yourself a bit of time potentially um I think in my personal life uh, I totally understand the the idea of self-care I, I very much put myself at the end of the queue for everything so I I'm not very good at self-care and so I'm really learning at the moment to try and give myself space and time and do things that don't feel selfish because actually it's about you know refueling yourself and building yourself back up a little bit um and not feeling guilty about taking time for yourself which you know historically I've never really had um I think I just wanted to link it back to being a mental health first aider a little bit in as much as I think it's worth pointing out um mental health first aiders as Helen rightly said we're not experts in anything and it doesn't mean that we can only talk to people about something we've experienced because that's not necessarily the case. So the basic sort of grounding is is a lot of what we've really demonstrated today, which is just to be prepared to actively listen to each other and be empathetic. And everyone's done that. We've not judged anyone. <laughs> we've shown compassion and um, hopefully given each other the confidence to be able to speak up. So that is what is the crux of being a mental health first aider. I don't need to have experienced or lived your life, but I need to be willing to listen to you. And when I do listen to you, you're going to get my full attention and I'm not going to judge you for whatever it is you're going to tell me. And I'm hopefully going to be able to signpost you to somebody who actually can help you. Um, and that's why it's important. And I think people are, are slightly scared of the, the terminology, perhaps, who don't understand what mental health first aiders do. But it should be part of any kind of well-being conversation that you're having with your colleagues. So historically, if we were still in an office, you would know, I would know, certain people, as minute they walk in the door, you can tell that person's not doing okay today. So it might be that you want to approach that person and just say, are you all right? You know, do you want to go and grab a drink or something? And we used to be able to provide that perhaps a bit more 
obviously when we were in person it's a lot tougher when you're looking at people virtually and trying to work out is that person's behavior a little bit off today so i think we've got a tough job but the more we talk about it and the more as everyone's used the term normalize it this is, should be part of a normal conversation you would have it you know like with your best mate zoe when they get in the car you'd be like you all right today you're a bit quiet it should be yeah. perfectly okay to start that conversation with somebody and that's all it that's all it should be is that you start at that point um and allow somebody to just go do you know what no i'm really not or no but i don't want to talk about it and then you respect that person because they've said no i'm not okay but i don't want to talk to you about it and that's that's fine too yeah i totally agree with everything you said and just as a final note um if you don't feel like you can talk to one of the um, mental health first aiders or a wellbeing champion then we do have um helplines on our um wellbeing site under mental wellbeing that you can access and call if you need to thank you for listening to the retreat tune in next time for more insights from your colleagues in the west midlands if you have an interesting story that you would like to tell please get in touch